0: What does the word intentional mean to you? Because it's the name of the show, I just love the word, it means a lot to us. So what does it mean to you? Intentional to me means
1: very thoughtful, very fulfilling, outcome-oriented, where, yeah, your, your heart is in it, and you identify with it.
2: Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies.
0: How's everybody doing? And welcome back to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 272. And I'm your host, Ryan Tansom. Today, we're gonna to be talking about paper, wealth, and lottery tickets, and how that's different from your management role and your wages. And who is on the show today to talk about this is Andres Moran, and he is a serial entrepreneur with three exits under his belt. Currently, he's the head of a division at Wonderkind, which is a SaaS company that helps e commerce businesses decrease their bounce rates and shopping cart abandonments. And stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear a funny story about that. Anyways, prior to WonderKind, Andreas was the co-founder and head of business development of Fundera, which was sold to NerdWallet. Fundera is a SaaS platform that compares multiple small business loan options at once. Think of like Kayak for small business loans. Andres had two businesses prior. His first company was a medical spa in Miami that he started with his sister, which is acquired several years later. And his second venture was an online exercise rewards company called Earned It, which was acquired in 2013 by Higi, a company that measures and attaches a score to your personal health. And what we're going to be talking about today and why I'm so excited about this is we're going to be diving into Andres' entrepreneurial journey and the lessons he's learned from the three exits One thing that continued to resurface was how important it was to understand the different roles we all play as business owners and entrepreneurs, and that is the difference between the job that we have, which is our management role, which we get an income for, for performing specific duties, compared to our ownership role, which is our equity that we have as the investor of this business and that asset, and how these two roles need to be separate and dealt with differently. Both of these roles need to be designed based on the stage of the company and the personal needs of the founder. They need to be aligned with the future potential, the value creation of the company, and what Andres refers to as a lottery ticket or paper wealth, and he's got a great story about that, and the need to have our desired level of personal income. There's no universal prescription for this challenge, but one thing is for sure, that you need to understand the difference between these two roles and all the decisions that come with them. There is no better way to learn than to hear someone else's story, which what we're going to hear today. Or you can go to uh, the intentional growth online training at arcona.io. So without further ado, here's my interview with Andres Moran.
2: Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Andres, how are you doing, man? Doing fantastic.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm looking forward to having you on the show. Uh, I i gotten reached out by uh the usually the firm or service that you had uh you had uh started working with and mm-hmm. came across your bio and some of the things that you've been doing and I was like, ah, this is gonna be a fun conversation. So Good. I know you're sitting at Wonder Kid right now, but there's been multiple things you've you've been an employee and you've also had uh, a couple of your own ventures. Why don't you just give us a you know the cliff note version of how you got to where you are and then we can uh go back and unpack it?
1: That's right. Yeah. So I um I'm at Wonderkin now, which I did not start myself, but previously I'd been a a founder, a co-founder of three different companies. Um, The first one was a a medical spa. It was actually Florida's first ever medical spa, which is where you would do like laser hair removal and Hmm. Botox injections, but not in a doctor's office, but rather in a more comfortable setting. Uh, so I started that with my sister, which um, that was a, a lesson learned in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> Do Do there's advice. some stuff behind there. The, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to yeah. be coming no, back okay. to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, it was acquired by um, uh, a chain of medical spas that was looking to make a bigger footprint in South Florida. So sold it to them in 2011. Uh, the next company was a company called Earned It, where we would reward people for exercising so if you use any of these trackable devices or, hmm. or apps like you know runkeeper or Fitbit Nike plus all these then we would integrate with it um, give you points based on how physically active you were and then just like credit card points you could redeem them for rewards and things from, from our, our brand clients yeah <clears throat> and um, and then that company was acquired uh, in 2013 by this company named Higgy uh, in Chicago. Uh, when Higgy itself actually was just acquired last year by a company that is, uh, is going public. Oh, cool. uh, and then <clears throat> after that was a co-founder of a company called Fundera, which is a marketplace for small business loans. That one was not my idea, but my co-founder, Jared, uh, who was, was the CEO of the company, uh, brought, brought me in on day zero. We raised some money and, and had a nice outcome last year. We were acquired by NerdWallet. Some of y'all might be familiar with NerdWallet or even Fundera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now I am uh, the GM of a business unit here at Wonderkin. So, Wonderkin is a software company. Uh, we sell into e commerce companies and media companies to help convert more of their visitors into customers. So, taking that traffic and just making it more fruitful for them. So, it's a SaaS based company. I run a business unit that sells into these media companies the SaaS offering, but also have PL remit. Uh, for an advertising product, um, so almost which like a media, cool. a media mm-hmm. business within it. So it allows me to be a builder within this company, right? So, as you've heard, I I enjoy building businesses, and this allows me to build this business within the confines of a of a large organization. Which, you know, it's a it's a feature no personal guarantees, it's a, right? It's a bug at times, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's so how I, I got here.
0: <laughs> well, it's super awesome, and and um, before you know before we unpack all the way down to where you're doing right now. I, like how did you, was it accidental or how did you get the entrepreneurial buck? Like, you know, when you said, okay, I'm going to go try something on my own, going back to the first, the first thing that you uh, started doing, like give us like, what did you have in the email? They call it the entrepreneurial seizure, right? So like, <laughs> how, how did you, how did you go about um, starting the first thing? The first one was somewhat um, out of necessity. So I had, Uh, I
1: I left New York for a a consulting firm. I left New York in 2001, actually right before 9-11, it was August 2001, and then went traveling for a year, came back from backpacking through Southeast Asia, and then began working with with my dad, and that was a, a rather you know frustrating experience. Again, just work, you know, you see a pattern here. Working with family can can be uh, detrimental. But um, <laughs> um, and so well, what I other? I then began wondering, okay, what's what's the next step for me when when I cease working for for my father's business because I did want to move away from that. And um, both my parents are entrepreneurs, small time entrepreneurs, and. I, I then thought, Hey, you know, I was in Miami at the time. saw all of these people with tattoos all over their bodies. And I thought this was probably not like 2004, 2005. I thought these people are going to regret those decisions someday of having all these <laughs> t- tattoos emblazoned all, all over them. And right. I think you have, you have some tattoos. I, I got a
0: couple my, my uh, small story about this, man. I was, I remember, I will never forget this. Cause it was like, right after I got one of my tattoos, I was like, my first one was like 19 and, uh, I was at LIDS back when like malls oh. were a thing. And yeah. this guy was like, I'm like, oh, dude, you got a bunch of sweet tattoos. You ever think about putting one of those on your hat? He goes, I hate my tattoos. I was like, oh, dude, this is exactly your point. I'm like, why is that? And I'm just, he, he pulls up his shirt and he goes, this is my ex girlfriend.
2: And I was oh. like, oh, oh man. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, just nasty. big portrait all over his chest. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah. That's regret So I don't regret any of mine,
1: but I know it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. And so, it well, it's interesting, too. So I thought of, all oh, people will regret it someday. This was back in 2005. Now, actually, more people are getting right. tattoos and, and adopting, like accepting them and loving them. So my, my hypothesis was wrong. But nonetheless, I, I was speaking to my sister, <laughs> who, who in, in Miami, and I was saying, hey, a lot of these people are going to regret it. Maybe we should look into tattoo removal, laser tattoo removal. And my sister said, well, I don't know anything about laser tattoo removal, but my, my good friend Marshall runs a medical spa in Atlanta where they do laser hair removal and laser vein removal. And I hmm. said, what's a medical spa? Started to research it and said, wow, you know, Miami is the perfect market for this. And it did not exist in Miami. It existed in New York, clearly in Atlanta, where where my sister's friend was Marshall. So I brought Marshall on as basically a kind of a co-founder. Uh, of the business. We can really piggyback on his experience. I came to New York several times to visit a, a bunch of the medical spas here and then raised uh, a little bit of money. I think we raised about $120,000 and launched that, that medical. So spa was, you, was Marshall, yeah. you and your sister, all partners at this then? That's right. That's right. Marshall being the, the smallest one of that, of the three in terms of ownership, uh, since it was my sister and I doing really the day to day and, um, you know, it went really well. We had success very quickly. You know, I I think I made a very naive, amateur uh, decisions where, you know, I wanted to prove to these investors that trusted in us that they made a good decision. And so pretty quickly after that early success, even just four months into the business, I started making distributions back out to them. Like, hey, look, you made the right decision. Mm-hmm. So foolish because there was a void in the market for medical spas in Miami. So we were, we were basically the trailblazers there. And what we should have done in hindsight, if I weren't trying to prove myself, was I, you know I, I sh- we should have gone out and opened additional locations and really created a stronghold on that market, uh, maybe even raised more money. Instead of doing the opposite, which was what I did, which was very sophomoric and 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 juvenile, which is returning that money to think, well, look, you made such a
0: you made such a wise. Were move they requesting it them. or anything? Or they were not even. You know what I mean? Really? Like it was just so kind of just so trying stupid. to trying to make sure that you're yeah the, the fear of if you've never raised money before, making sure that like hey you know I'm not going to take your money and yeah hey, how long how long did you guys have that business? So we had the business, we we,
1: we launched it in 05. We ended up selling it in 2011. Okay. I did leave uh, the business, well, I, I left to go to business school here in New York in 2007. And then my okay. sister continued to run it. Um, and then ultimately, you know, she, she ha- started to have a family. Uh, and so we had one of our investors' wives managing and running it, which did a great job. And then. We, we were able to, to, to sell it. Fortunately, that was an inbound interest in, in selling it. I tried to find a buyer a few years prior to that, nurturing relationships with other medical spa owners. But then what happened was the medical spa industry took a hit because there was so much competition that, that pricing started to plummet. We never reduced our pricing. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm very averse to discounting. Uh, I'm much more in favor of, of, of premium pricing premium product premium experience and so we maintained that and it was very difficult to maintain that for a long time but we did and ultimately it served us well because the other medical spas had a race to the bottom and they went out
0: of business and we we maintained and survived and then were acquired what when you said uh when you laughed about saying that you partnered with your sister what 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 was some of the challenges that that surfaced Yeah. I mean, I'll start with
1: when I, when I left to go to business, when I, what happened was full, full transparency. I had a a long distance girlfriend that was very serious. She was in New York. I was in Miami. So I wanted to find a way to get to New York, have a real reason to get there. I applied to Columbia business school. I got accepted and that was my ticket. And so I, I, and I loved New York city. I'd lived there right after college, as I'd mentioned. And so I wanted to get back. And, and I think my sister felt this is getting real, you know, transparent, like opening the code. Mm-hmm. My sister felt probably that I was, I was betraying her, which I, or, you know, just leaving her behind, uh, which was of course not my intention nor, nor my motivation in any way, but that was how she perceived it. And so it did create certainly a a, a, a rift temporarily between us and you know, we, we got past it and wow, it's been a long time now. Uh, mm-hmm. So everything's great and hunky-dory, but there was a period of time there where I'd say
0: for, you know, several months where it was, it was
2: tough.
0: It was tough. Well, I was sorry to interrupt. I, I I think what's interesting and to kind of give you some vernacular that over the, you know, the years of the podcast and then our business that there's this concept of ownership versus management roles that you get, like what you get your paycheck for your wages versus like, Hey, I could have equity in this business and not have to work there. And most people that I see in family business, my dad and I never understood that, Andres. it, Andres. Like, so not you you could solve for those things differently. Like, hey, you can like leave, be an absentee owner, but still own equity or like I mean you had you had investors that didn't work in the spa, I'm assuming, right? So like and most right. people that didn't figure that out, do you think that that was part of it or like the, not understand the separate? That, absolutely, that could have been part of it. And you, you
1: you hit the nail right on the head, right? Like the way to really create yourself, uh, set up, you know, set yourself up for financial independence and success is to have equity and things and not necessarily just rent your time out. And I I had had that epiphany while I was, you know, because I was working at the medical spa full time as an employee, but also an owner. Eventually, I just thought, well, you know, I think once I realized I'd made that mistake of not expanding when we should have, and, you know, pretty quickly, tons of competition came in. And I saw that there was going to be limited opportunities for growth of the business. And I realized, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't continue to be renting my time out as an employee of the business, of course, retain my equity stake, but now perhaps go on to, you
0: know,
1: larger and greener pastures in my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, I think my sister uh, did not have that same interest as I did to, to go move on and just do more and bigger things. She was,
0: she was happy with, with what was going on there. So I think it was a different paycheck and having, has, having some flexibility over day-to-day stuff. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. What was right. it like bringing that, uh, that GM on and then how did Marshall fit into the whole piece? And I'm, I'm just super intrigued on this. I know we're, we're, we're pulling from years back in your memory and we'll make sure to you know expedite the journey, but like, I'm just curious because this whole like equity versus roles, it's just such a common issue. So like, how did Marshall fit into the picture? And then this new GM that came in, how did, how did you guys handle that?
1: Yeah, so, so, so Marshall, in hindsight, was probably overcompensating from an equity perspective. Um, we wanted to be really generous with him at the beginning to make sure he wanted to sign on with us and gave us that knowledge dump, knowledge dump and be with us to, to guide us. In, in hindsight, he probably did receive too much equity for, for, you know, for what we received in exchange. So, and then the GM that came on ended up being, uh, after my sister, was the wife of one of our Investors, And so there was a vested interest there uh, uh, in making sure that the spa uh, succeeded uh, so that that, you know, all the investors could get paid out. But, yeah, it gets tricky when you start talking about both the cash compensation and the equity compensation. Also, with equity, like in the startup world, equity vests, right? Oftentimes, and especially in small businesses and LLCs and what have you, there aren't vesting schedules, which means sometimes someone will get a nice ownership piece up front. And then, and then not contribute as much down the road, but they still retain all of that equity, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense in the startup world. As probably lots of lots of people listening in understand, there is that vesting schedule to make sure that there is this consistent value exchange between mm-hmm. the individual and the company. Mm-hmm. And um, and so yeah, th- th- those are tricky conversations that need to be sussed out early. And there, it, it's a little bit. It's part art, part science into how. You
0: compensate people with a mix of both cash and equity. How did you guys go about uh, when you got this out of the offer? Did you guys you did you guys take it to? do you guys bring on a broker, investment banker, or,
2: and then we don't have to
0: focus just on this sale too. Like you know, just in general, like these concepts are just so you know you, you've got you've had multiple exits. So you know, did, what did you did you how did you go about this one, and how did that reflect on the other the, the things you did on the pre the next two? The next, yeah. So
1: with with this first one, it was fortunately inbound, where someone was looking to expand, and so they contacted us. We did not enlist a, a broker or uh, even a, a let's call it a small banker or an advisor in any way. Right. We basically did it ourselves, um, just the brain trust of, of of us and the investors. There were some sharp investors in, in there as well who had experience in oh, yeah, 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 in these types of transactions. And uh, yeah, I think it was a decent outcome. you know, um, all the investors got paid back their money and then some with a decent IRR, we got to you know relinquish any sort of liabilities on the machines that we had to rent and the in the space. so we had the landlords on board and, and everything. so it was it was a nice clean transaction that um, went really well as I was able to pay down a little bit of credit card debt that I had accrued. Uh, yeah, so that, what did, that, that you,
0: probably- what did you learn about valuations you know and 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 to pull from whatever part of your your story and your journey that you want to like it you know over the years on this show i i realized that i'm like oh, but not every un, not, like my dad and i i didn't understand valuations to begin with and what created enterprise value and a lot of people learn it that i've realized over the years that people learn it through exiting and that's when they learn it which is a shame like the, where what did you learn off of that first one and then how did that, how about the other two like of what actually creates value on the, when you go to to actually sell the company,
1: yeah. So in that in that that first one with Sutera, the medical spa, the what I learned was we we unfortunately found ourselves in a commodity business, which at the beginning we did not believe was going to be a commodity business, but it became one. Unfortunately, and interestingly enough, there, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but I like businesses that somewhat operate in a gray area of regulation, and that's what Sutera was at the time. It was unclear whether you can operate a medical spa without having a physician on premises. And the the regulation was gray, and we just said, screw it, let's go. We're gonna do it, you know, in the state of Florida. What what you know, who's gonna come after us? Let's take that risk. So we we did, we took that risk. And once I think other other would-be med spa owners saw what we did and that we weren't under any legal issues as far as they knew bam, people just jumped in. So it was what we thought was going to be a differentiated business with some moats around it. Quite quickly, we realized it was a commodity business. And what happens is if you have a commodity business, you better have a really strong brand, which since we only had one sole location and hadn't expanded, the brand did not have the footprint that, that we would have hoped. Um, so so yeah so the without that strong brand it became difficult to to command a sort of premium on on enterprise value when it came time to the sale so at the time we really just had you know the existing infrastructure like a beautifully built out location mm-hmm. the machines of course a client list so we had it was a turn what we were really selling at the end of the day was a a turnkey med spa for this new order to come in and just operate in full stride on day one, rather, rather than have to deal with any of the headaches of setting it up. up. That's yep. really what they were buying.
0: Yep. How, so then on the ne- on the next few, first of all, going from med spot to like finance, super curious if like you just got like spreadsheets, just injected into your blood at grad <laughs> school or, yeah. or like, so curious on the, on the, on the, like the path yeah. there. And then, why you got into the, the next few businesses. Yeah.
1: So the, the second one, which was rewarding people for exercise, I was actually inspired while I was in business school at Columbia by this company called Recycle Bank. Recycle Bank ended up raising some decent money from some, some really strong uh, venture capital firms. And what they did was they would incentivize you to recycle because they would give you reward. You know, they, they would take mm-hmm. your recycling bins, weigh them. And then that weight would turn into currency, and you could redeem those currencies. Recycle
0: anymore. just a huge dumbbell every so often, and then yeah. you get some, <laughs> <laughs> get some solid.
1: So funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: you, yeah, you game the system exactly. <laughs> Unintended consequences, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, born sales guy. Give me the count plan. Let's figure out where the holes are. <laughs> yeah.
1: How to get there? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I thought, wow, this. I wonder if this model could be applied to to exercise. And there was something that I had in the back of my mind since like two thousand seven. 2008, how can we, you know, perhaps integrate with the machines in a gym to see how much you worked out on those machines and give you points. And then right around 2010, Nike Plus, RunKeeper, Fitbit, Jawbone, all these fitness trackers and apps just, just started to come onto the market. Admittedly, we were probably too early in hindsight. They just started coming to the market. And I thought, hey, all of these services are going to have APIs built on top of them. So instead of what I initially thought was, hey, we have to integrate with the machines at a gym. No, no, no. We can go straight to these devices and apps via API, hmm. collect the data from them. Oh, my light just went out. One second. <laughs> like so it, it looks like awesome.
0: a bar light. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Busting out the bloody not- mirrors already? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought, yeah,
1: the, uh, all these devices and apps are going to have API. So let's go ahead and... And, and build this service that can be like a, a layer of value above mm-hmm. all of those uh, fitness trackers and apps uh, and allow people to be incentivized to, to exercise and then use their points that they've earned to, to spend on rewards. And that company is called Earned It or it was called Earned It. At first, <laughs> wow, this is a lesson. We had begun speaking with a company called Everyday Health on a partnership. And then that conversation, that partnership conversation turned into an acquisition conversation. And uh, we went through several months of negotiation and pricing discussions and employment contracts. All the legal and accounting review was done and we were basically about to sign on the dotted line. This was now October of 2012. We're about to sign on the dotted line to sell, earned it to Everyday Health. What happened was, Hurricane Sandy came through New York, flooded a a lot of the city, and created a blackout where there was no power south of, like, 28th Street in New York City. Everyday Health's offices were south, in that blackout zone. And so when we were supposed to come to the tables, they were like, well, let's push this back two weeks. Oh, no. So they pushed it back two weeks. In those two weeks, my daughter, my first child is born. And I'm already thinking, this deal's done, right? Like, we've gone through all of this, Right. And so we're starting to just spend a little bit more freely as if the money were already in the bank. Rookie mistake, obviously. You know where the story's going. So then, two weeks later, when we go into Everyday Health's offices, the CEO, Ben Wolin, sits down. I'm thinking, hey, yeah, let's, let's sign this contract. Let's go. Give me the pen. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so we're not going to do this deal. And oh we were like, God. what? And so what happened was, in those two weeks, they had a major client back out, and they were banking. And for confidentiality reasons, I'm not going to share that client. But they had a major client back out that was going to basically be a large subsidizer or 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 buy. You know, basically like fund. The, they were going to de- deploy the the app or something like that to that yeah, client or something like that. Exactly. So that client backed out, and then the the ripple effect was they backed out of our deal, and it was just. An absolute gut punch, uh, but a real lesson in, hey, these things can happen at the last minute. The deals fall apart. How long have Do you guys been? Spending?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I the, the amount of times I've had people were like, they're literally, yeah, you're like, there's either mentally... A- Spending the money, and therefore they yeah. call it the, like the death by a thousand. Or every deal oh. dies a thousand deaths because the, I mean, people just want it to be over at the, yeah. at the by then mentally. But other people spend the money too, and the wire hasn't yeah. come across. How long were you guys in business when you guys were doing that? So we had started, earned it in two thousand and ten. Uh, I think
1: we we launched officially in March of two thousand and ten. That deal happened October twentieth. Well, not the deal, the broken deal. Mm-hmm. happened in October of uh 2012. So two and a half years after we had launched. And then fortunately, a year after that, we were able to sell the business successfully to Higgy, which was based in Chicago. Also, that started as a partnership discussion uh, and then morphed into an acquisition discussion. Met with them, they they, they submitted a, an offer. I turned it down. Two months later, I went back and like, I'll tell you what. I would like to do a deal. Here's a minimum requirement of uh, mm-hmm. from a cash component. We'll talk about the equity later. But here's the cash component minimum we need to see in this deal. And they took it to the board, and we were able to we were able to to,
0: to get it done. So, and um, but did you have yeah. partners at that at that firm? I'm so sorry. Did you have, did you have partners at that company? At, at Higgy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, not Higgy. At, at, at the at the the app that what well, I don't know what the name of your company was. The one that oh, you earned, earned it. Earned yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, uh, I had a technical co-founder who was our
1: CTO. Mm-hmm. And then we had three, three other folks on our team. So it was a lean team. We didn't raise any venture money, which, okay. by the way, gives you, a, a, you know, when you don't raise any money, particularly when you don't raise venture money, it gives you a lot of optionality when it comes to exits. If we had raised venture money, of course, we would, A, need, re, we would have required a much larger uh, acquisition price, which wouldn't have been feasible, mm-hmm. uh, and then also a board would have to approve everything. But instead, in this case, I basically could have could unilaterally decide what we were going to do. And uh, you know, everyone made out okay. My co-founder was able to put a down payment on a house, and you know, everyone everyone went over to the acquiring company except for me. Actually, uh, I then after that was in the process of co founding Fundera, which that's when I was brought in by. Jared Hecht, uh, who is the, the CEO awesome. of this yeah. idea?
0: Yeah. So a couple of questions before we get into the fund era is the you know with you and your partners, um, were you guys paying yourselves and were you cash flow positive? How did they value it? Because it's always this mixed bag, Andreas. Is that like is it a multiple revenue? Who cares if this thing's burning cash? Cause like a lot of those like on the SaaS and tech plays, and especially when you throw the VCs in. A lot of logic goes right through that freaking window, and so then, like, how did you guys get? How how was the valuation? And did you learn anything in that broken deal that you did differently in that span before you ended up selling it again? Oh, in the span in the broken deal, what really what
1: I learned was more around uh, transaction. I guess transaction philosophy and not counting your chickens before they're hatched, uh, <laughs> more more so than anything from an operating perspective. So I wouldn't say that necessarily anything from an execution or operating the business changed in that span between the broken deal and when the deal, the deal successfully happened a year later. That was your second question. I'm sorry, remind me the yeah. First
0: no, no. How did how was it valued? Because like, was it multiple oh, revenue? Were you, were you guys cash flow positive? And in the and. In, you know, and the cash flow positive is a, is a loaded question too because I didn't know if you three were paying yourselves market rate at like the CTO and the VP of sales or whatever you guys were doing. So we uh, I was not paying myself anything from a salary perspective. The other
1: four individuals on the team, including my CTO, were paid but absolutely not market rate at all. I think once you weigh in the the acquisition Amounts and then it, it, you know kind of kind of made them whole. Admittedly, not entirely, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it did get very close to making them whole. In what would have been a market rate cash compensation. So because they were bringing you know, making less than market on a salary and a cash basis while we were operating the business, we were profitable. We had to be because you know I wasn't able to fund the business from my own personal account and mm-hmm. we hadn't raised any outside funding. So the mm-hmm. business had to be funded by our, our customers, by our clients. And so at that point, though, to get to the valuation answer, you know, it, it, it come, it, it's, a, it's tricky because we were acquired by a private company with both a cash and equity consideration. So okay. when you're being acquired by a private company, they can value you at a billion dollars. And that's, hey, but now the other math you have to do is, well, how are they valuing their equity? Because if they're like, hey, John or Jane Doe, we think you're, we'll buy you out for a billion dollars. Here's a hundred thousand dollars in cash. And the rest <laughs> is an equity in our company that we think is worth 20 billion when it's you know worth you know remarkably less. So when it's private company equity, there's that extra step of, well, now we need a line on your equity, on you know, because that's that's the conversion we
0: need to do under under the hood, right? Uh, which it gets tricky. It's so interesting, Andres. We, we have a, um, and one of our clients that uh, has our, our CFO services that, that with private equity, when they want you to roll a bunch of money back in, very few people like like actually know this or like understand it to the point where they act on it. It's like, you're now an investor in that company. So you can yeah. actually do reverse due diligence, just like you were saying. Absolutely. And like a, all the logic applies, man. Yeah, you've traded one lottery ticket, for another lottery
1: ticket, but don't be fooled. You're still just hanging on to a lottery ticket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no cash. You don't know whether you're getting thirty years or yeah. whether you're getting over two thousand years. <laughs> That's right. Now, sometimes I'll tell you what you look at the you look at some public market examples,
1: which are fun to look at. For example, Twitter, when they were worth about sixty or eighty million, acquired a, a, a Twitter search engine called Surmise. This was way back. I mean, we're talking maybe two thousand eight. 2009, they bought Surmise for maybe $10 million when Twitter was maybe worth $60 million. So basically, a sixth of the company. So Surmise <laughs> actually was a, you know, several billion dollar acquisition when you really look at it, which is interesting. <laughs> right, isn't
0: it? Yeah, those, those, those founders, the people that got that equity swap are, are not doing too bad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really worked out for them. Really worked out. So the... So so your other co-founders ended up staying at the the acquire they, they stayed at the acquire then I,
1: I went on to, to co-found fundera with Jared and, and 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 Rohan our CTO. I will say one last point on I think what made the earned acquisition successful was um, we made sure that we were in the orbit of potential acquirers and I think that's important because you know you'll hear the mantra that companies are are bought not sold and frankly I think that's bullshit. I think some companies are, are bought not sold but you know chances are you know all of us on this call here are not one of those companies that are bought not sold they tend to be they need to be sold a little bit and you need to you to do that you don't necessarily go around saying hey we're for sale, we're for sale because then there's a discount on, on on applied to you but you just make sure that you're in that orbit of potential acquirers you make sure that they know and you can you know you can really highlight and spin a little bit your progress, and, you know, the, 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 the fanatical uh, clients that you have that love you and stick with you and you can you, know, you really tell that story in a, in a strong, nice, beautiful narrative, eventually, believe me, their ears are going to perk up and they're going to think about acquiring you.
0: What is your definition of Orbit? And maybe give us a couple examples of how yeah. you, you acted on it. I would say um,
1: in an Orbit, you want to perhaps set up uh, partnership discussions, ideally even partnerships, if it's potential uh, acquire that's competitive to you, um, you know sometimes it is good to to keep your you know, keep your enemies close, uh, and so I, you know they say the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, and so hey every quarter or so why not go and and grab drinks or uh, break bread with the the CEO of, of a competitive company, and you're not going to get into you know sharing these super you know trade secrets or anything like that they may they may <laughs> not know but. You know, everyone can peacock a little bit in those meetings, and eventually, if, <laughs> if, if, you know, uh, if, mm-hmm. if if that, those com- that, those competitors are larger than you, um, they may want to buy you out as well. If you if you continue to tell a really nice story over and over again, but it, it's an investment, right? I mean, you probably want to be in setting up those quote unquote
0: orbits for you know one, you know one or or two, or two years. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen I, in I a matter that- of months, you know. Yeah. I think it's very consistent with, uh, with some other stories I've heard. I mean, like those partnerships allow you to, you know, and then both of you end up knowing each other, how you work better and they, and you get through due diligence faster and yeah. there's actually like, you get, you get the emotions going, you get, it leverage that peacock, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so why did you like, what, you know, after two exits like this a, a, in wildly different kind of operating entities, like, where was your head at Andreas like as far as like why fundera why going after that why number three how did yeah. you know like where like where were you at with your mental yeah that, that,
1: that would have landed in my lap so J- Jared heck is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life uh just an incredibly sharp guy incredible entrepreneur before that he had co-founded a company called group me which was one of the first group messaging apps. Um, and he had a, a successful exit from that and sold it after a year to um, to Skype, actually. And then Microsoft acquired Skype. So he had a two-year retention period at Crazy. Microsoft. And basically at two year and two years and one day, you know, he says, Hey Andres, can we go go grab coffee? I was like, sure. Uh, at the time I'd actually just given verbal acceptance of a job offer at a at an ad tech company to go be like an SVP. And uh, it was only a verbal acceptance. I hadn't yet signed the letter. I do feel badly about it with what I'm about to tell you, which is, you know, I go and have coffee with with Jared, and Jared's like, look, I have this idea for a business. There's all these alternative lenders, like non-bank lenders that are coming on the market. It's going to be a very fragmented market already is. Basically, I want to create a, almost like the common application in college where you can just, it's like an aggregation play, where through Mm -hmm. through one uh, channel, you can get access to all of these
0: lenders as opposed to going in. or something like that for travel or something like yeah, that. Yeah, It's
1: almost like a, what we, we used to be called a kind of like a kayak for small business loans. You just, uh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yep. And, and so I thought, wow, this is, this is very interesting. I, I love aggregation plays. I love marketplace companies. So it really, really piqued my interest. And again, uh, I really respect Jared as an entrepreneur and his intelligence. He had, Previously, you know, we had talked about me joining uh, GroupMe, the, the timing just never worked out. So we had wanted to work together in the past. And so I thought this was a phenomenal opportunity for me to, to do that. And so I had to go back to that company that had made me the offer that I verbally accepted and said, listen, guys, I, I hate to do this. I actually f- I do feel terrible and I admit it, 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 it's not it's not a great thing to do. And it, I, I'm a bit ashamed of it, but. Um, I had to to kind of renege Something on that. came
0: across you couldn't re, you couldn't yeah, refuse. Yeah,
1: reneg on that acceptance and and go on and 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 start Fundera with with Jared and and with Rohan who was our CTO. I had never met Rohan before, but Jared brought us together. So Fundera was really Jared's brainchild, and he
0: you know he he was CEO. He continues to. To, was her, he the tech person too? Or like, what was the like on ground zero? Like what was everybody's roles yeah. and how was the funding and equity so, structure? Yeah. You don't have to give percentage or anything yeah, like no, that, no, just like, no, what no. was the conversation like? For sure. And, and this is also
1: like an interesting lesson learned. So, so Jared was the, 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 mastermind behind everything. He was the real ringleader. Rohan was the technical chops in our CTO. We got everything going. And then I was brought on board to, uh, to structure all of the lending at first to structure all of the lending relationships um, mm. with, with, with all of these non-bank or online lenders. And, mm-hmm. and really we were the first company to come in and, and, and do that at a large scale to aggregate and be this like channel into these, into these lenders. And so it was somewhat uncharted territory mm-hmm. to be doing that. And so, uh, that's what I was brought in to do is to the gray area, right? Yeah, the gray, the gray area, the, that. the partnerships, the, the outward facing like commercial stuff. Um, Jared was, uh, responsible for the fundraising and again being the mastermind and early key hires, he he did all that and he did it exceptionally well. So so yeah. Then I was doing all of those those partnerships conversations. In terms of equity, and this is going back to something I'd mentioned earlier around thinking through like that that balance of cash cash and equity. At the time, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, I was a, a new father, hadn't, you know, accumulated much wealth, so you know, had, I'm living in the West Village of Manhattan. Like, you know, I've I have a high like personal burn, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And so, get up and go to work, man. Pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and so that's why I was gonna go, you know, be be this SVP of that company that had given me that offer. And so I said to, to, to Jared I was like yeah unfortunately, I do have a certain like baseline for me to cover of this personal burn and, uh, and and Jared said that's no problem. we will we, we'll do that. So I had a, a more at market wage from a mm-hmm. cash basis frankly and, and at first Jared, Jared was paying that out of his own pocket until we closed on the round and then and then mm-hmm. you know that the, the the investment capital then would, would take care of that. Because of that, you know, I had a much lower equity stake than one would think mm-hmm. your typical co-founder would have. Mm-hmm. And that's OK. I mean, that was the decision and the arrangement I needed to have in the early days. You know, of course, now, after the acquisition that happened last October. You just run some straight line math and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, right? man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but listen, I, I've learned it's hard to regret decisions. It regrets are an emotion that I, I try to avoid uh, it's probably an emotion that I, I hate the most in life is the, the emotion of regret. And there are several things I've regretted in my life. One of them was not being in the first investor in Airbnb. And I can, I can get to that story later. But what I try to tell myself is at the time, the situation, the scenario you're in, the context you're in, the, the amount of information you had at that time, that was, the, that was the, the decision that you came to. And it was right at that time. Sometimes, yes, eventually those decisions with the luxury and the advantage of hindsight and many years of seeing mm-hmm. other cards unfold, okay, maybe it wasn't the right decision. But at that time, that was the right decision. And so um, you have to live with it not not allow the regret to eat at you too much. And so, you know, I, do, I don't regret and that, that decision that I made from the cash and equity standpoint with Fundera. I had to have that cash at that time.
0: And then it's wise of you, man. You I honestly no it is because like regrets are, i mean honestly this whole this whole podcast five and a half years ago started with people sharing their regrets i mean that was like the entire show and you're so right like it's about it's intellectually doing what you said makes sense but it's just you know then the then you throw the emotions that are in your stomach and it's hard to it's hard to reconcile the two sometimes it's, it's tough man it's tough yeah <laughs> so what it, you know what was the so you raised some funds and I don't know exactly where there's institutional investors like, or if it was a seed round with family and friends, but like, what was the timeline of that business? And you had mentioned when, when we jumped on that you're, you had parted ways from like the, the salary perspective, but kept the equity kind of walk us through how that, how that all went down and how the conversations went.
1: Well, yeah, that one with, with Fundera. So I was there a couple of years. What happened was, so after I'd set up all of the, the lending relationships, I then was brought, like, my, my mandate shifted to, hey, set up, think of it as, like, customer acquisition partner channel mm-hmm. relationships uh, with, you know, large companies. Think companies like QuickBooks, like Intuit, and, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, just l- l- large companies that have huge installed bases of small business customers. That was our target customer. Mm-hmm. What we learned as my mandate shifted to that was it was still relatively early in the online lending and alternative lending space and frankly uh, there was there was almost some uh distaste of alternative lending and and online lending it was almost like a, a little four- bit different than today's oh yeah it's way <laughs> different than today it was almost, like,
0: almost pay now or buy now pay later and like how many of those companies can you have oh. you don't have to buy anything these days yeah
1: <laughs> they're, they're they're killing it yeah um the buy now pay later folks um Actually, Klarna was was really just starting to really take off back then when we were doing Fundera. It's amazing to have seen their growth. But but back then, alternative lending and non-bank lending had, was a bit of a four-letter word. It was marred with stories of predatory lending. And in fact, Fundera's mm-hmm. purpose is to actually help business owners avoid predatory lending. Make sure that they Transparency are, behind that, right? Yeah, yeah, making sure that they have a concierge and a, an advocate in their corner to make sure that they do get the best- Deal possible. However, you know when when an entire industry has that reputation, even if you're the good actor within that industry, you you get a little bit marred by it. And so, a lot of Mm -hmm. these larger companies didn't necessarily want to um, align with online lending. And so, we saw that what we thought was going to be a huge customer acquisition channel for us with with these large with with these large uh, companies ended up not being the case. And so it was like, okay, well, you know, since since that's not going to bear the fruit that we thought, and that was basically what my mandate was at that point. Since a lot of the, you know, basically all the lending relationships were already in place and doing well, you know, maybe it was a good time to, to step away from the business. And so that, and so that's what happened. And so I stepped away from the business for a couple of years. You know, there was was vesting that uh, and some shares that, of course, were left on the table because in typically in startup land you have a four year vesting schedule. Um, so so there were you know options and, and equity left on the table. But listen, I, I still had a, a you know a meaningful amount of equity and and so I'm not upset by by the outcome you know following the, the acquisition last year. Um, of course, yeah, it would have been nicer to have been either fully vested or you know had been able to 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 have a below market salary in exchange for a higher equity when I came on, but that wasn't that wasn't the reality that I was living in at the time.
0: What was it like? Take you know, just having the equity and not working at a company that you had helped co-found like that. I know it wasn't your baby idea, but like you know, you're on ground zero, man. You got a lot of personal, emotional investment into like what this thing is. Was it weird taking a step back? Of course, it was very weird because um, it was something that I was obsessed
1: about for for a couple of years until all of a sudden, you know, you know, when you're falling asleep at night and you're thinking about the business, you're like, oh wait, that's right, I'm not working in it anymore, right? But um, you're, still, <laughs> right. you're still like the biggest champion and advocate and evangelist out in the market as best you can. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it turns out, you know, I have o- over the years, I had plenty of those lottery tickets, right? So, you know, er- earned it was acquired by Higgy, which was a private company. So I had that private company lottery ticket, I had the Fundera lottery ticket, I had the Outbrain uh, which was a company that I was working at full time while I was doing Earned It on nights and weekends. So Earned It wasn't, believe it or not, my full time thing. I was doing that on the side mm. when I was working. Oh, interesting. At, yeah, when on the side when I was working at Alpharin. That's why I didn't need to necessarily pay myself a salary because I was already, you know, uh, being paid, uh, you know, being paid market rates at Alpharin. Got it. That makes a ton. So of the Alpharin lottery ticket, Alpharin actually just went public this past summer. Um, although I'd sold I'd sold my, all of my outbrain shares on the private markets in a secondary sale in January, all of my equity and then three months later, they or four months later they say, Hey, we're going public this summer. I'm like, You gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> oh
2: my god,
0: <laughs> Jesus. Oh, what a bummer, man. Yeah, man. No, but so the, so you were cashing in these lottery tickets to actually Yield yourself some some actual capital. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so these lottery tickets have also, I've, you know, the I guess the maturity date on these lottery tickets when when you're dealing with private company stock, they tend to be several several years. It just so happened that the outcomes of these lottery tickets are now starting to come to fruition. So. You know the lottery ticket I had with Higgy, unfortunately, isn't. I don't believe it's going to yield anything anymore. So that one, you know, that one you could rip, you could rip that lottery ticket up, and that happens. You know the 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 outbrain one I was able to, to sell in the secondary market, so you know I was in the money there. Funera, you know, the acquisition happened last year, so you know that 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 lottery ticket uh, you know came to fruition positively, positive outcome. I still have a lottery ticket here at Wonderkin. You know, meaningful amount of equity here. Uh, so we'll see what, what happens there. You know, I think we're on a really great path and trajectory. So I'm, I'm very bullish that that lottery ticket also will will lead to a positive outcome. And then now lately, I've been making some angel investments just to, to increase the number of lottery tickets I have because it's fun, man, right? Like same reason that you go and you play the lottery ticket. <laughs> that's yeah, why you get a lottery <laughs> ticket. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, let's see what happens. And um, you don't expect them all to pay off, of course. But so far, my, you know, the hit rate's been been really strong, you know, Um
0: well, and I want to talk about Wonder Kid a little bit. And, and before we do that, so because of the multiple roles that you have, like when you think about your identity, like what do you place it on? Is it the gig that you're working on immediately or is it where you have your equity in the lottery tickets or is it like as a serial entrepreneur? Like I'm just like. Where do you place it? Because I think a lot of people that stick with one thing for so long that it's so devastating. Yeah. when they have to part ways from that, how how do you how have you kept yourself baseline?
1: Yeah, my identity lately has actually been very Wonderkin focused, which is typically if I'm working at a company that I didn't start myself, my mind just starts to wander and go into more entrepreneurial endeavors, um, uh, and so I get distracted. Wonderkin is not a company I started myself. However, I have a real, real strong sense of home here, a sense of belonging, a sense that I am making an impact to the company with the business unit that I'm effectively the CEO of a business unit within the company. And so I feel like you know, I'm you know entrepreneur in that capacity. So mm-hmm. uh, I do identify a lot with the business unit that I run and, and with Wonderkin as a whole. And so my mind has not been wandering into, Hey, what else, what else could I be doing
0: from an entrepreneurial perspective, which is a beautiful thing, right. To know that I, I how did I, you find it? Like, like what else were you looking at? And, and, and some more context behind the question too, is again, like I, I've I actually said at one point, like I, I'm professionally unemployable like, cause I, cause I, I had to work for myself. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I I agree with that. I completely agree with that, Ryan. Like I,
1: I find myself professionally unemployable too, for the most part, except here I'm a, I report directly to our CEO and founder uh, his name is also Ryan, by the way. Um, nice. He and, must be a good guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> brilliant. Product visionary. He's so, so sharp. Um, I've known him for 11 years because he, oh, wow. Yeah, he was doing, uh, so when I was, when I was running Earned It, remember we were getting, um, allowing people to get rewards from brands. One mm-hmm. of those brands, which was one of Earned It's clients, was a company called Bonobos, the men's clothing company. And mm. Bonobo uh, uh, Ryan was working at Bonobos in in customer acquisition, and so Ryan was basically my point of contact, or became my point of contact oh, yeah, yeah. at Bonobos. We met in that context, and um, and so uh, you know after after selling Earn what have you, he, he and I of course continued to keep in touch, and he was telling me his idea for Wonderkin at the time it was Bounce Exchange. And he just told me the idea for bounce exchange and he wanted me to join in the early days. And I didn't, I didn't, because I went off to start Fundera and just doing other things. But then, you know, five years ago we, we reconnected and uh, he told me about this business unit that he was looking to build out at the time. It was just nascent, 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 this uh, this advertising media based business unit within the company. And I was like, yeah, this sounds really interesting. And so I came on board and um, you know, have helped build. The- Were you looking before. at
0: anything else? I'm sorry. Were you looking at anything else, like other gigs, at the at the time? You know, I really, I really wasn't actually at that time. I was considering starting
1: this company called Vestible, uh, which is a marketplace for, which was going to be a marketplace for buying and selling small businesses. And this is now, you know, 2016 timeframe. So this was mm-hmm. before Micro Acquire and Quietly. A lot of these, you know, before mm-hmm. a lot of these these uh, marketplaces for for buying businesses. Really became popular, or most of them weren't even started yet, and so mm-hmm. uh, I I wanted to take the learnings from from Fundera and, and and having a small business marketplace and how to acquire small businesses, oh, uh, and create this marketplace for the buying and selling of small businesses. So yeah, that was the that was the goal: was to hey, can we can we do this? And so we I did it with a, with with a, a, a friend of mine, someone I knew by the name of Pierre P I R, and so we started working on that together for for several months and started having some conversations with investors. Um, it turns out we weren't able, and this was 2016 when things were remarkably different from a fundraising context than they are now. Now, it, you know, it's- you have, a, you have Can you breathe here? Would you like some capital? Yeah, 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 I know. And I, you know, and I actually, it is the case and it seems to be the case. At least that's what you're reading in all the headlines. Although that's gotta be really frustrating for people that are struggling to raise money because they're- like, finding. <laughs> All these people seem to be able to raise money like on a whim. But what's happening to me? I think business? the funds,
0: the the VC funds and the PE funds and the aggregators can raise funds really easily. But the companies are still having a hard time because you got the gatekeepers. Yeah. That now, I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's interesting dynamic going it, on right
1: it, now. It is, it is. Um, but back in 2016, it wasn't nearly as frothy as it is now. And so we were trying to raise money, and for good reason. I think there was concern from investors and concern from really sharp people. That we spoke to in the market around, can you actually take this transaction and make it online? Can you, can you, can you take it this offline business broker? Because what we were wanting to do was to actually replace the small business, the offline small business brokers, right? And there's tens of thousands of these online small business brokers, and they don't have the best reputations. Which, if you think about it, what we were trying to do with Vestable in, in replacing these somewhat what are perceived as shady small business brokers is similar to what Fundera was doing to right, just a marketplace, yeah, just transparency, yeah, transparency, and be the good actor in this space. Mm-hmm. But I think the you know the the selling and buying of a small business still requires so much diligence and transparency and like real world connection between buyer and seller that a lot of these investors we were speaking with just didn't believe we can bring this transaction online. And so we weren't able to raise the money. And so I was like, okay, well, I think, you know, rather than continue to to bang our heads against the wall with trying to be, make Vestible a funded, viable startup, it was, you know, it just, the timing worked out that that's right around the time that I was, spoke with Ryan. He's like, hey, do you want to come build this business? You know, I was like, yeah, let's let's you know let's let's rock and I. What man, I find some what's super you know.
0: interesting about the, uh, the the opportunity that you had is that you know I, I so many people that I know that have sold or they like like there's always the what's next you know what I mean like so like how do you go into this next stage after your current company that you sell whether you are financially free or not I mean like all those are just there's all these like potential variables but the big question is like how do you land somewhere with the right combination of risk an upside and the ability to kind of reinvent yourself especially if you're professionally unemployable like we talked about. Yeah. I love the I love hearing that you've done so, that you've landed a place where that like that you're not just trapped as like an entrepreneur that you know you've been an entrepreneur and I just I hope that there's people out there that like take something from that because I think people honestly they go buy a company when they shouldn't. Right. Or they go like they Oh, I'm now this, you know, I got the Midas touch. So I'm going to spread my wealth into all these companies. And they all like, they don't pan out the way they do. Yeah. So like people just don't know what to do, honestly, afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest. As we all know, entrepreneurship is a slog,
1: right? Like it is not <laughs> glamorous. It is just like man, like it's rewarding and fulfilling and, you know, enter here all of those adjectives. But another adjective that we can't ignore is that it's a pain in the ass. Right. And so sometimes there is a luxury not like going on and just starting the next thing again, or, you know, buying a business and being the sole operator of that business or the head of that business. There is a benefit to going to let's call it the comforts of a, of a larger funded Mm -hmm. company. And I'd say for, for those super entrepreneurial Minded people that are probably most of the people listening on this call. If you're thinking maybe I don't want to go on and do something else and be you know an entrepreneur again because of that slog, find an industry that you're passionate about and maybe go to some of the large players in the industry. And be like, hey, there's this business unit or here's this business you should consider, and you know bring me in to build this business for you within the confines of your of your company. And um, and, you know, you could set it real success metrics there. But make sure you get, you know, there's some risk and reward for both you and the company. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they pay you. They, they do pay you perhaps a, some sort of market or below market rate. But really, the money will be had. And, hey, if you can build the successful business unit that the, you know, the real reward is, is down the line in, in mm-hmm. building out the business and de-risk it for that for that large companies, you know, say, hey, we're going to share.
0: We're going to share mm-hmm. in the risk here. I love it. And to, it, yeah, it, so much truth to what you said. So look, what is wonder kid? And like, it, I think what you were describing what it does helps also online companies grow value by realizing I did word more money is. So why don't you give us the the overview of it? Yeah. the, the, the what, you, what you've been up to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The rundown. Um, and, and it's something that um, can be considered almost like a, a marketing operating system. And so what what that means is, is, uh, you know, as the owner of the online business or a marketer for an online business, um, we're able to execute on-site messaging and on-site campaigns so that we can see each visitor as they come to the site, what are they doing, what's their historical relationship to your company, to your site. Um, Also, what are they doing in session right now in real time? And then we can create dynamic one-to-one messaging for them on-site to pull them down that conversion funnel. If they end up not converting on site in that session, which most visitors don't convert in that same session, we're able to then send a series of, of emails to them. If 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 you have if we know that you have mm-hmm. the permission to send this individual an email, and we can mm-hmm. match we can match this visitor to a, an email that you have in your file. If you're allowed to send them emails, well then we will then trigger this series of 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 emails that will go to them about. Maybe items that they looked at, or items that they even left in their shopping cart. It's called triggered emails. And we're able to scale mm-hmm. those tremendous tr- triggered emails, perform really, really well. For for online for e-commerce companies or even for you know, media companies that sell subscriptions, that work really well. The problem is they can only sell them to like a very small small percentage of their visitors. We help increase that percentage of the the, the number of people that we can identify and they're matched to an email that you have on file and then allow you to mm-hmm. send those triggered emails. So. We're doing these on-site executions. We're doing these triggered email executions. We can also do that through text message and capture the text messages on site, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and or excuse me, capture the phone numbers on site and send them triggered text messages in the same way that we capture email addresses on site and send them triggered emails, you know, in subsequent sessions. And so that's why we call it that marketing operating system. We take we have your on-site messaging one to one taken care of. Your email messaging one to one taken care of. Your text messages one to one taken care of, and also through the media business that I oversee, those one to one messaging, one to one messages in in ads and advertising that goes across all of these premium media sites where that that work with us to show our proprietary ad formats.
0: Well, and what's super interesting, Andres, is, is that like I think about like the e-commerce or the online businesses that we work with. You know, the whole goal is they're scaling their company to grow more enterprise value. And and like so, one of the big metrics is client acquisition costs, like how much ad spend and and like what's the lifetime value of your customer. Well, you only look you look at the levers that you can pull from the financials, and you go, okay, well, more clients and reducing the client acquisition costs, but then it's looking at the churn and then the the, the lack of conversion on the back end that you're talking about that could literally drop some significant money to the bottom line. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, though, that's, that's spot on. You know, they spend so much, so many companies, they spend all their money
1: on, you know, that top of funnel, Google and Facebook Mm -hmm. tends to be the, where most of those acquisition budgets are spent, but yeah, they have leaky bottom of the funnel and we help patch Mm -hmm. up those leaks, right? Like let's help you get the best ROI on those acquisition dollars.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, I got to tell you, (laughs) just the most ridiculous card abandonment story. So because I spend probably too much time in the in this space too with a lot of the online entrepreneurs. And I, so I know about these things. And I, <laughs> there's these shirts that I'm actually wearing one right now called Fresh Teas. Okay. And I just was like, well, so I put all this shit in my cart because I also know that they've got this tool. So then I get the 50% coupon tomorrow. yeah. <laughs> so yes. they like actually well, go in there and leave it there on purpose. <laughs> that's that. Yeah, you're hacking the system. You're, and, and, I know It's like, that's awesome.
1: You're hacking the system. And you know, we wonder, can for a lot, I don't know if we work with fresh teas. actually, I should know that. Oh, uh, I, mean, I
0: don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> should have maybe yeah, we're, let, we're, let
1: it we're let we're anonymous, the, but <laughs> we're, we're the engine behind that. We don't, we're not necessarily the ones proposing. Hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, fresh teas, you should do leave you it do in your car, but we, we do power that that technology behind the scenes, but that's smart. I'll tell you what though, you know, Ryan, by you doing that, if it, I, and again, I don't know if we work with fresh teas, so disclaimer, but if you do that, we get great credit for that because it was our triggered email that went to you that then <laughs> you converted. I'm off. glad I'm so,
0: supporting. Yeah. Please keep doing that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But you know, it's, I, all joking aside, it's it, outside of me. I mean most of those people like it's you've already paid for all the ad spend so you're going to drop it's going to drop right the money's going to drop right to the bottom line. Yeah. Because they're already sitting there. That's exactly right. Dude, this has been a blast, man. I'm yeah. so so happy that you were able to share the 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 journey with us. Um two questions. Rock it out. What does the word intentional mean to you because it's the name of the show. Just love the word it means a lot to us. So what does it mean to you? Intentional to me means
1: very thoughtful, very fulfilling, outcome-oriented, where, yeah, your, your heart is in it and you
0: identify with it. Awesome. 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 Where can we find more about, where can the listeners find more about you, Wonder Kid, and any of the things that you've been doing? Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've been telling folks, feel free to email me. I love I love receiving email. Um, my inbox
1: is sometimes my to do list. I, I guess it is for a lot of folks, but it's that's where I, I tend to connect most with people. I mean, I of course I've LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter, but honestly, I think email is more personal, and that's where I, I, I I'm happy to engage. And uh, my email address is Andres, which is A N D R E S at wonderkind.co, and Wonderkind is W U N D E R K I N dot we're working on the dot com so for now
0: just keep the app that <laughs> that going. goes fine yeah <laughs> it's all good andres this has been so much fun man i appreciate you coming on the show thank you ryan really appreciate it thanks everybody for tuning into the episode i really enjoyed andres stories and being so transparent with the challenges that come with starting a business, having co-founders, the decisions between reinvesting in the business to taking an income. And I mean, just honestly, the challenges that he dealt with in each of those situations and how his job and his, you know, the role as a manager and the executive or whatever the, the position was, you know, how that has a you know, a specific set of tension that you need to have that ties to the equity potential of that business. I mean, these are just decisions that we have to make and we have to weigh the personal decisions that we have for our personal needs of our annual income versus the ability to create wealth, as Andres says on paper, which is a lottery ticket. If it's not cashed in, it doesn't it's not worth anything. And I think the the best way to clarify these two roles, I mean, we built the whole second Principle of the intentional growth principles on this specific topic because there are three financial topics that you need to measure and monitor. And that's what is your target annual income, number one, number two, your outside net worth now and into the future, because that's going to impact your third financial target, which is the value of your business and the ability to create. So that's three the, the ability to create future value and wealth in this business. And sometimes it's not always black and white on how those how those three financial targets rely on each other to help you make a decision of what's right for you today and into the future. So that's why I would suggest go check out the Intentional Growth Training online, where in the second principle, we break down how to think about these three financial targets and then really how to align and get clarity, the value of your business and that equity value into your personal situation so you can focus on growing value once you have your target annual income and net worth uh, accounted for. So anyways, thanks for tuning in. I really enjoyed the episode and I can't wait to uh, see you next week.